0: Hey everybody welcome to the shop notes podcast it's episode number 184 the whole crew is here today john logan and phil on today's episode we have a design throwdown for our listeners over at blue spruce tools and Sawmaking. logan and phil both have some new tools to show off and talk about uh, john's got some new projects that he's working on and Logan decides to cross swords with George Nakashima. That's all coming up on today's episode. Uh, this one's brought to you by Grizzly Tools. They're one of our new sponsors for season 18 of The Woodsmith Shop. Uh, you'll see a lot of their new tools in our videos at Woodsmith, as well as our weekly shop update that you do. Uh, they've got the full range. We have a small benchtop drill press, to milling machines, sanders, The big one in our shop that's been getting a lot of attention is the oscillating spindle sander. If only for the fact that it's a cool floor-mounted version, and I have two words to go with it. Oil bath. There you go. So you want to check out all of their stuff, grizzly.com. Okay, so uh, Popwood recently did a saw till project. Hovering right in the there. background over Logan's shoulder. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Woodsmith has one as well, but it takes a different, a different course in that uh, the one that Chris designed is for Japanese saws. He has it housing three Japanese saws. And then to go along with it, over my last couple of evenings, I read the book by George Nakashima, The Soul of a Tree. And on the cover of that book, the one that I'm holding up here, I'll put a photo of it on the show notes page. And in the book, a few times,
1: and on that
0: saw till, we have I'm going to butcher the name and I apologize for it. An Azabiki, the like, I don't know, flower petal shaped saw for use when sometimes called like a mortising saw for being able to start a cut in the middle of a panel. So it's got a really sharply curved blades. The Japanese one has like a rip, rip teeth on one side, cross cut teeth on the other. And uh, this is my th- question for, I know we have listeners in the, in the saw saw makery over at Blue Spruce. I think that's the word for it, right? And that's what it is I
2: think. I think that's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I would like, call it the saw foundry, mm-hmm. but that's just me.
0: Saw foundry. There we go. Haberdasher of saws. <laughs> Jared and his and his kin over there. Yep. Um. How come there isn't a Western version of that saw?
2: There is. It's called a circular saw. Plunge cut. <laughs> <laughs> Did it like Porter Cable make all those like? <laughs> Attachments for your drill that had like saw blades on them, and some of them were like tiny little bitty circular saw blades. It's yeah, probably yeah, what they're for? Probably,
0: yeah. I mean, on the set, mm-hmm. uh, our old TV, our old video set, we had uh, what was it, an Atkin's flooring saw? Yep, that was Floor kind saw, of yeah, yeah. We, got we ended of up doing a video that. on that. I'll put a link to that on there. I think I think that's still on our YouTubes in the tubes somewhere. Um, but I th- that's just a question that I have. Why isn't there a Western version of that saw? Also, can yeah. Jared and them make one? Does it need to so, have crosscut and rip teeth on it? No, I don't think so. I think you could get away with one or the other.
2: Okay, so when realistically would you use it? Is my question.
0: Okay. <laughs> I would say in the same ways that a Japanese carpenter slash woodworker would use it. So like Mr. Nakashima, Mm -hmm. George, let's call him. Okay. He would use it for, yeah, oddly (laughs) enough, he would use it for cutting the recesses for butterfly keys.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: He would all. I mean, it, they call it a mortising saw. So if you are going to create a mortise on the interior of a panel, or board, or a tabletop, or something like that, you would could do it. Start it with that. Or I was also thinking, uh, if you're hand cutting uh, stopped dados. Okay where you could use that to start start and or finish the, finish the cut. Is it a specialty tool? Yeah, but let's take a look at all of the specialty tool gadgets and gizmos aplenty that are available mm-hmm. that meet very specialized needs. I would think that you could make a case for that kind of a saw, just as well as you could for pick any other, other thing. It's just a question I have. I'm not saying that it needs to be there. It's just curious that it's very prominent in Japanese woodworking and, and that the equivalent of that saw doesn't exist here.
2: I, I feel like I have seen one of those saws like somewhere as a Western say, saw. No, 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 Definitely. Definitely. You know, the, the Asian style pull saw, right? Um, I can't think for the life of me where I would have seen it. Hmm. Cause they have a very small blade that are, like that big, right? Right. Yeah. It's only and a few very inches curved. Yes. <clears throat> it almost looks like a, like a, spear that's had the tip nipped off Like that type of shape. Yeah.
0: Or the unholy offspring of a butterfly and a
2: throwing star. That's true. I thought it was a butterfly knife. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. That would be interesting. I don't know. Like that's the type of tool that after you use it, it'd be like, okay, I get it, but I don't really have a need or desire to, to have one.
0: Says the guy with 28 <laughs> saws over his
2: shoulder. Okay. Can't argue with that. <laughs> Nate, if we could blur this out and post, that would be great. <laughs> <Too sure. laughs> yep.
0: Like I said, it was just a, a curiosity yeah. because I could see places where, I mean, it, it's like a coping saw. Like how often does a person actually True. use a
2: coping saw? That's fair. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. Mm-hmm. yep I get so it. anyway although you know just we, we did we did decide last night that Mr. Nakashima is wrong so right
0: yeah which brings up my second point from the book
2: because uh,
0: I was reading the this is the best part about working with other woodworkers is being able to contact them almost instantly uh, so one of the chapters in the book, The Soul of a Tree, is on timber, as he calls it, and how logs are converted into usable material. I just happened to know a sawyer, and there was, there was this quote that just gets better the more you read it. Mm-hmm. Cutting logs entails a great responsibility, for we are dealing with a fallen majesty. There are no formulas, no guidelines, but only experience, instinct, and a contact with the divine. Commercial grade sawing by rolling the log, unquote, the method used with almost all hardwoods in this country, is one of the most barbaric of practices. No attempt is made to bring out the log's inherent beauty, No slices wide enough to do justice to the trees, figures, and graining. The potential of the log is lost and it ends up only as expensive yet uninteresting lumber. Quarter sawing, sawing parallel to the rays, which radiate from the log center is also popular. And it too is undesirable since it is wasteful and also fails to make full use of the logs width, with its great potential for spectacular graining. It goes on from there.
2: Now I will reiterate exactly what I said to Phil last night <laughs> when he texted me that George Nakashima's dead and I'm not. Is it a coincidence? <laughs> did the lumber <laughs> mafia, the white Oaks, did they take him out? Maybe.
1: Is
0: that like the uh, Van Buren boys from Seinfeld? I, yeah,
2: it is. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Now, hmm. it...
1: so, so what's his answer then? If you,
2: that I'm, like, I'm, I'm a barbarian, I'm a barbarian. He wants sawyering. it just slab straight yeah. through.
0: Yeah. He just wants it th- by the bull or hmm. uh, through and through yeah. or whatever you
2: want to call it, where you okay. just whack it into slabs. Yeah. Because that takes a lot of mm-hmm. skill. Mr. Nakashima.
0: And he does go on in there talking about how the skill is in where you make those first cuts, depending on, yeah. you know, where branches come out or where yeah. there might be knots so that you end up, you know, limiting which boards have a knot in them, as opposed to having the knot runs, you know, straight through all of your boards. Yeah. And, um, and you've done plenty of
2: sawing that I've way. I've done I a lot of it that way. Yeah. I don't like to. But... For speed, Why is that? Well, for speed's sake, it's great because you just put the log up there, position it how you want it, and you start cutting. Okay, so I can take a I can take a twenty inch diameter walnut log, and I can just slab that to two inch thick or two and a half inch thick pieces in five minutes. Right, very easy. Right. There's f- a few problems with that that I have, and the reason I don't generally do that. A, well, first of all. The market's actually better for live edge slabs like that. Because you can always take the, the live edge off, right? Like, yeah. So you generally appeal to more people. Um, they're faster to cut, but they're also heavier because they're bigger pieces. Okay? Now, what also happens is you have a log that you're stacking versus boards. Okay? I could stack a whole lot more trees in a four-foot wide by... 12 foot long chunk of ground than i can logs
0: right because Because you're just basically logs
2: yeah yeah you're i mean you're getting tippy as you get taller like there's just some issues okay i can i can load up you know as long as my boards are the same width or the same thickness i just stack clear to the ceiling right as high as i can reach can't do it logs because they like to tip ask me how i know that (laughs) i i had a lot of logs fall over um and then my other issue with that is the fact that the bark generally bark and sapwood generally tend to be where insects are going to live now we don't have powder post beetles here in iowa we don't we don't fight a lot of those bugs that some of the southern warmer states have but we still get borers um so by by removing a lot of that sap and the and the bark by you know making it into a cant and then s- slicing boards off, I am removing most of that uh appealing habitat so th- that's my thoughts now i get I get what George is saying because yeah, like an entire chunk of a tree tells much more of a story than a board because if I take a walnut tree and I, I cut it, there's never going to be a walnut tree. that looks like that one. Like that's a unique piece of material. Right. But if I turn a walnut log into boards, I can find another board that looks exactly like that walnut. I mean, hue might be a little different, but it's a board at that point. Right. So I, I get it, but to call it barbaric, <laughs> is a very <laughs> very mundane way of thinking Yeah, yeah, it's kind of to offensive us barbarians yeah it's yeah. Offense,
1: yeah, it's offensive to barbarians, yeah
0: barbarians are people too mm mm-hmm. yeah. no, I just thought it was very, very interesting to me because throughout the book he he comes across as a very low key mellow soul until you get and him then, on cutting methods until, until <laughs> you get him on uh, log conversions. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden it's yeah. he's got feelings.
2: And I'd like big. to, I'd like to know what Mr. Nakashima's opinion was on Imperial versus metric because that's really where we're going to find out what kind of man mm-hmm. he it was.
0: Yeah. Uh, he uses metric or uh, Imperial measurements
2: quite often in the book so it's not doing him any favors not in my right. book yep <laughs> all
0: right so there we go we just know that uh somewhere in the near future logan's going to be writing a book as a <laughs> counterpoint to the soul of a tree
2: never have had <laughs> a desire to do that
0: at, at least right. a
2: disc yeah
1: a track there's for sure.
0: a It's like that movie, uh, Julie and Julia. So it'll be like the same thing except uh, Logan and George. I will say though, it's kind of interesting to see, because I was looking through that book and then I was uh, looking at a project idea for my home shop and we have uh, the Sam Maloof's book, Sam Maloof, A Woodworker. And both of those guys had really distinct and interesting drawing styles. Yeah. and how they both had art backgrounds to a certain extent. Okay. So it was fun looking at George Nakashima's pencil drawings that he has scattered throughout the book that are really quite compelling, not only of trees, but places he lived and stuff like that. Kind of cool. Would like to know if anybody else out there has ever read George Nakashima's book and what you thought of it. It's It goes right along with... um some of James Krenov's writings I feel in terms of style and approach because Nakashima in a couple of places in the book he talks about how having each board has only one ideal use for it and if it's not used for that it's been wasted
2: Pompous (laughs) Some might say I don't know some who but somebody some might say. somebody <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that yeah other <laughs> like I've you're heard not it. saying it but some people <laughs> might say it
0: I've heard and honest. I know that uh, Krenov has e- not really either said very similar things or implied it in other things too, which is also kind of funny because it seems like a lot of the trees that Krenov came across really wanted to be made into cabinets on stands. Be weird, yeah. So there you go. Anybody else read uh Soul of a Tree? I would like to know your thoughts of it. Post your mini review in the description section on our YouTube channel or send me an email. That would be really cool.
2: Have either of you guys read it? Negative.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for the movie to come out.
2: The Wrong Way to Saw a Tree. That's that's the title. That's the working yeah. title. Yeah.
0: Although if it was John's movie, it'd be more like saw it wrong or something.
2: Yeah. Or yeah.
0: All right, John, what do you got working on?
1: Um, right now I am trying to finish up a workbench for the next Shop Notes magazine. Um, it's kind of interesting because I am designing a base around a top that's already built. So <laughs> uh, a few issues ago, uh, Chris. Designed a uh, twin vice and m- mocked up a top for photography, and I was just like, "Hey, don't throw that top away. We can build a whole workbench around it." So now I'm uh, designing backwards, I guess. For that, <laughs> that's cool. So, just trying to save the builder some work. There you, you go. Know, save it from the dumpster.
0: Mm-hmm. Logan
1: tried to send it there last week. I, I tried.
2: Me, I've tried many times. <laughs> I think it <laughs> was the third time I tried yeah. the dumpster. <laughs>
1: So we got that.
2: That going was
0: on. the, the vice was that uh skeleton watch vice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we're going on, which that. is actually pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's interesting because I think as you use it, you can feel because the, was one version made by Andy Klein. Is that the right name? I think um, so. Yeah. And, his is all machined and whatever, but then, you know, the one Chris did is all um, plywood gears and stuff. And it, you can feel, there's an interesting feel as you spin it. You can feel like the mechanical clicks, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting. It's kind of therapeutic. As I stood right. there for 30 minutes unwinding <laughs> it to try to get it out of the workbench top. <laughs>
1: but. And now I got to put it back.
2: Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what I
0: th- thought was kind of cool, I mean, obviously there's the, if you're not familiar with the project, it has—it's a twin twin screw vise, but exposed on the front and all clockwork gears. So it's got that real fun, almost steampunk look to it. That you, as you s- start turning the handle, you can see all these gears moving around on the inside.
2: Yeah, there's there's like a train of gears that connect the pair of handles. Yeah. So. So if you could go on really fast, the the handle, you're not holding on to a you Right. Did that once. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Although I would almost advocate for, I think, the Lee Nielsen twin screw vice that they sold for a while. Yep. You could do just like a dummy handle on the other yeah, side. Yeah. So it was really just one handle, but yep. it would still turn both sides. Yeah. But then you didn't have this. Like dancing swords, kind of thing, just yep, flopping around. So,
1: so, all right. The other thing I'm working on is a uh, child's play table, okay? With so, would have been nice for me maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> a little late on that. Is it
2: gonna be, are we talking like Lego table style? That's the way or I'm like kind of going
1: style, yeah, something like. That would be, you know, for a small child that put toys in, whether it's Legos, train set, blocks, puzzles. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of a small version of the game table, I guess.
2: Yeah. Like that yeah. type of thing yeah. that we
1: just did recently where you can, you know, cover it up, you know, set things in. Uh, might include a little toy box bench to go with it.
2: That will be fun. Everything. Yeah. So, yeah. But, that would be cool. Yeah. See, those are, those are the types of projects that as parents, we... I think all are like that's cool. Like, not it's not mm-hmm. like the most exciting thing. Like it's not building a twin screw vice for right. your workbench, but right. it's one of those like that will be a popular project that a lot of guys will build.
1: Yeah, or, or women or grand, I mean, yeah grandparents, you know, yeah yep. for one hundred percent kids or that kind of thing. So, but, yeah. So no,
0: I could see that because my both of my kids played with. We had a a table that. I think was with a train set, the little wooden stick together, mm-hmm. make your own tracks, yeah. kind of things. And I mean, they used it for a thousand other things too, but yeah. that was yeah. definitely really
1: cool. Yeah. Those were definitely, we, we had, I was gonna say those were definitely Legos train sets. Like I think it were definitely yep. toys I like to play with, with the kids. Cause you gotta, you yeah. know, build stuff and, then you're like, hey, don't wreck my, don't, you know, don't take my parts. Yeah. I'm, I'm building here. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. And they're trying to build I, their own thing. I will say we, we had a, uh, like a Thomas, the train table that my aunt had bought for her kid um and it was way i know how much she spent on it and it was astronomical and for how crappy the table was (laughs) it's like man (laughs) like you're paying for all the european beach that all the train parts are made out of but not the table like the table is like some like it felt and it it was part of the kit but it was like this is like a target knockdown. i bought this for my dorm room table Mm
0: -hmm. yeah you know yep so it's like if you take spit and mixed it with sawdust and then like pressed yep. it together real that's hard. What
1: yep. That's 100%. 100%. First time you yep. spill a juice box on it. Just, <laughs> it just triples in so. size. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: that's funny. So there's your
0: test, John, yep. is making sure that it's juice box. Yep, for sure. Although the other... Th- 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 what I thought was interesting about having that table, especially with our second child was how it turned into a uh, learn to walk aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The hold on to it and walk
2: around it. Yep.
0: Yeah. Stand up and moving around. And yeah.
1: You know what? Yeah. Uh, talking yeah. about juice boxes and particle board. What if we built the whole thing out of a nature Valley granola bar?
2: Ah, uh, there'd be
1: crumbs there? all over, it'd be but, crumbs. It'd be, <laughs> but it would be delicious. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: depends on the finish you put on it i guess yeah
2: Yeah.
0: uh this one's brought to you by grizzly tools they're one of our new sponsors for season 18 of the woodsmith shop they've got the full range we have a small benchtop drill press to milling machines sanders so you want to check out all of their stuff grizzly.com All right. Well, those are cool projects. It's like a workbench for kids and a workbench for the parents or grandparents who
2: will build the projects for the kids. There you go. I like it.
0: Logan, you have
2: a new tool to talk about. I got a a couple new tools. A couple new tools. All right. Well, yeah. One. uh, So Pat was here last week. I think we talked about that on the podcast. I don't know if we aired that podcast or not. But Pat was here. So. While well, he was here, <clears throat> and I have a seven and a half foot tall leprechaun at my disposal. <laughs> I had him help me move that powermatic lathe uh that I bought from our shop into my shop. So that's my first new tool. I bought new switches for it, and it's still just not right. The switches now work okay, okay. but something's still weird in the programming. So like something's messed up somewhere internally with that VFD. So So do you need a new VFD for it? I think so. I think so. I, I bought like $20 worth of switches, wired them back up. So the switches are there and as they should have been, but it just is not like you should be able to control it with either the remote or the switch on the face of it. But somehow that face switch is not letting it shut off like it should. So something is weird in the VFD programming. I don't I don't know. I, I might be able to reprogram it. I haven't dug into it yet. I'm not worried about it just yet, but I got that moved into place, which was cool. So that means the Koenig needs to leave. We talked about that. Um, yeah, Pat convinced me to to get rid of the Koenig. So I, I emailed that out to the Des Moines Wood Turners the other day. Nobody's bit on it yet, so it'll be going on Facebook Marketplace fairly soon. Um and yeah, so I got I had a TorMec in a couple of months ago for was for an article and it was cool. Um, they Tormek wanted it back and, and that's cool. Like that's, that's usually what I offer is to send it back. So they they had sent me like a, I think a refurb or a demo <coughs> a demo one. So that got sent back and I was like, yeah, you know what? That was really nice to have here. Uh, I had an off brand Tormac. It was, a a, a different maker. And it is about, it was about a quarter of the price of a Tormac. And you can tell it was a quarter of the price. The wheel had some run out. It just didn't work as well. It had forward and reverse, which was kind of nice, but it just, and I sold that probably three, two years ago, three years ago. Um, that was one of those, like I bought it from the woodsmith store with, you know, woodsmith bucks from teaching seminars. It was one of those types of things. So I didn't really have anything into it. It was worth trying. Um, but then I found on one of the wood turning groups I'm on, a guy was selling this grinder and I, I messaged him and said, Hey, I'm interested in, in that Tormac. Uh, you know, he was, he was asking, it's, it's fairly unused, but it's been used a little bit. Um, so he was asking what I thought was a fair price. And he had mentioned in his post that he was selling it to, to buy a few new tools. I was like, well, what, what are you looking <laughs> for? He goes, I got a lot of, <laughs> I got a lot of turning tools. Like you got some inventory. Well, it's like I've bought lots of turning tools over the last couple of years. Um, oh, right. Mainly, mainly yeah. to get like one or two of the tools in the lot. Like the last one I bought, I got like 38 gouges. And I only bought it because there was a, it's called a Kelton, uh, a, a McNaughty Kelton core. So it's like for making a bowl blank. And you can cut out three bowls out of that one bowl. Uh, and I paid the I paid what that kelton is new i paid that for all of the tools so it's like i don't really have a whole lot into these tools so long story short i traded i ended up trading him uh, a couple six or seven gouges and parting tools and stuff like that for that guy so i'm pretty excited about that um i'm going to i my plan was i i bought that workbench companion that was in a recent issue of shop notes my plan was to set that up next to my bench over here as like a sharpening station. So I was going to put the tarmac on there. My diamond stones have some storage underneath. Uh, But Pat said, Hey, you know what this would be really good for is like a little carving station for turning, like put the Fordham on there, put the, you know, all my paints and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It really would. And then I could kind of roll it around wherever I want. So it kind of got, Taken by that. So I'm going to have to find a spot for this Tormac. Um, okay. I, I could put it by my grinder for my turning tools, but that's in a spot where shavings kind of get, you know, sprayed on it. So, you know, I kind of want to keep this a little nicer. Um, so right. I will find use for it somewhere. Okay. But then the other, the other thing that I got recently, I, I, I bought it probably eight months ago, nine months ago um, to actually, I bought it, just to touch up some paint on some of these tools that I have. Like, you know, I told you guys my story about my automotive paint for my Vic Mark and I don't have a super nice like spray gun and I don't have a really good way to spray it. So I had bought this guy. Okay. So this is more or less an airbrush. And you guys saw this, I think last week when Pat was here, um, yeah. this is by a company called Grex. Um, they make, they make a lot of random stuff. Um, but they make this really nice like cup spray gun. So this is like, this is an airbrush more or less with a pistol grip on it and a cup, which is like a bigger cup than a standard standard, you know, airbrush has a tiny little cup for like doing t-shirts and whatever. This is like model making and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This thing is freaking fantastic. Like I know if I showed Steve, he's an airbrush enthusiast. (laughs) You know, like, he'd be like, oh, it's not a, you know, I want airbrush. You. Oh, he would. But for what this cost, which, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't, like, a super expensive airbrush. This thing works fantastic. I've been spraying um, some smaller stuff in here. Like, um, I had a couple of Pat's demo pieces left that I was spraying some of the, uh, uh, like, patina finishes on this thing is freaking fantastic. Like it's so easy just to hook it up. I have a little, I have a cheap Amazon airbrush, uh, air compressor. It's not big enough for this thing. So I actually bought fittings last night at Menards to hook this up to my regular air compressor. Um, but there's like no overspray. It's super precise. So you can like not have a ton of overspray. you can get paint right where you want it. This is one of my new favorite finishing things. Now, am I going to finish an entire, like, you know, sideboard with this thing. No, that's not what it's for. Right. But if I'm spraying like lacquer on a turned piece, I can do it on the lathe with this thing, you know, just hook up next to my air hose that's next to the lathe and, and use this. So I am super happy with this thing. Um, it's one of those things that I bought and I hadn't used. And now that I use it, I'm like, where else can I use this? Like, so
1: can you, okay. can you spray shellac with it?
2: Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I would think good, you could. Good news.
1: Good news.
2: Yeah. I mean, but shellac does come in a can. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: But it would be way more economical to spray it that way. Yes. Buying it, it. would.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's, it's funny because, um, when Pat was here and he did the, so the, the patina paint that he used, he uses is a company called Chromacraft. They're down, I think in Georgia or something. Um, there is a primer you put on let dry. Then there is a metallic paint. So the paint it's interesting because this paint's really heavy. You can see one of the pieces right there behind me. The, the primer is really heavy because it actually has like bronze or iron or copper inside of the paint. So it's it's interesting because it's, it's definitely heavier Mm -hmm. than just paint. Do they have a lead version? uh, I don't know if they have the lead version or not yet. (laughs) Um, but you spray that on and then while it's wet still you you spray on like a chemical to patina it Mm -hmm. um and when when pat was doing the stuff on video he was globbing paint on like the primer and stuff he was like you know give him a roller because he was just putting on thick Mm -hmm. and i'm like man that stuff was kind of expensive so like Hi, I sprayed it and it's so much better. Or I mean, it's not better, but it's definitely does not use near as much when you spray it with like this little guy. Even having to wash the cup out, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah, I was I was super happy with it. Awesome. Yeah, I like it.
0: And I talked about this in our last podcast, but I got in the mail my Little drill press vice, which I don't have with me, but I ha- I'll put photos up for it. It's a little Yankee 991. I don't know drill press or toolmaker's vice, depending on how you want to call it. And what I thought about, I at first I was looking for something a little bit larger, in like two inch or two and a half inch jaws, which are harder to find out in the wild and then this one came up it looked like it was in fantastic shape and the jaws are only inch and a half wide and the thing opens up i think i could get it to about an inch and a half capacity in there yep there's a little catch in the in the threads right around an inch and a quarter so i think that's more or less it's it's maximum. And I was afraid that it would be too small. And when I got it in the mail, opened it up, it was like, Oh, it's a little baby vice. What do you want to be when you grow up? But it's, I think it's going to end up being just right because of the fact that it's small, that when you start getting larger with the vices, they get, there's like this, square inverse square proportionality of how much they weigh, you know? Yeah. And it's going to be like, do I want to get out this 45 pound vice in order to hold (laughs) this tiny little hinge so that I can re drill holes on it or whatever. Whereas this little guy, I can just kind of keep in a drawer and pull out and use whenever. So yeah, I'm
2: well, and it it, ended up had the original box and stuff. Like it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And I kind of wonder how old it is. John, when I brought it in the other day, John was wondering too, like, it just seems like it's pretty old, but it's also in fantastic shape. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like, like brand Finch. new, but the box looks like, I don't know, pre-World War II or around that time, yeah. or I don't know. It's pretty nice. Yeah,
2: And I don't know if it's, is that a Yankee brand?
0: Yeah, it is. North Brothers, Yankee, 991. 991. So I don't know if anybody old tool aficionados out there, if you know how to carbon date these things to figure out exactly how old, I mean, there's no, no dates on the box that I saw or nothing on the casting, you know, and the, the imprint of the tool name and whatever on the side of the tool is in great shape so it doesn't look like one of those tools where it's like I got this really rusty and I spent 45 minutes on a wire wheel and munged it all up you know like it's in
2: yeah it's tight mm-hmm. um, and you said it is a it's labeled as North Brothers yeah North Brothers Yankee in quotes um, so there is so this is this is my you're in the realm that I love to live in Phil right now because <laughs> Right now, I found a Yankee tool catalog book from 1920, and I'm just okay. looking to see if I can find a. Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, that's a 990, a 993. That's a 993. There's no So anyway, there. it's
0: as yeah. lo, as Logan's looking there, uh, what I thought was interesting because. I was doing some car repair at the time and my wife brought out the box and she goes, guess what came today? <laughs> she goes, also, it's really small. <laughs> and I was,
1: You're like, and then a that was the size. thing. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's right. <laughs> and I,
0: so I opened the box and it was both smaller than I thought and just
1: perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, it was just like, just, but yeah, yeah, it is heavy for, I mean, for how small it is. It's got a good weight to it.
0: Yeah. So anyway, if anybody out there knows how to find the date on it or if Logan finds it, we'll put a link oh, to the catalog here.
2: So Yeah. That's that's one thing about these um the Internet Archives. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, here we go. Uh 1930.
1: 1931.
2: So is when so there's one so it's it's So it's published in the nineteen thirty-one north brothers manufacturing company yankee catalog so okay yeah vices number 991 234 so i will screenshot this so we can put that up okay it's pretty cool
0: yeah so anyway there you go that's i'm excited about it like i said i've been working on my drill press and I was trying to figure out a way to describe what I was doing with my drill press and why. And I think it was more in terms of turning it into like, like a work center. Like I want to be able to do good work at my drill press, have all the things nearby that I use at the drill press instead of viewing it just as a fixed place where a drill sits.
2: Yeah. If that makes sense. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset thing. So this is super interesting. It shows all the specs for the 991 through the 994. You said you think you can get an inch and a half on it? Yeah. Because I... that's what it's listed as maximum. Okay. Um, yeah, there's one like pounds, a little... pound, six ounces.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And, if you... and it came with a little block for uh, drilling into round pieces where it's got yep. like little V grooves in it, both yep, directions. This is...
2: This is show that's shown in the catalog as well. Um, The net weight on the 994, which is three sizes up is 28 pounds, six ounces. Right. Which would be huge.
0: Yeah. And it's really it's relatively easy to find drill press vices that have the angle attachment or feature to it where you can adjust the angle. And I just. I have a hard enough time just drilling square into something. I don't need to introduce angles. So, and that felt like just, a, and again, those ended up starting to get to be much bigger accessories. So,
1: so does the catalog give
2: a 1930s price? What it would, uh, it does probably not, in like which, Pence or something. <laughs> it doesn't because you, I mean, usually they do. Usually these old tool catalogs give prices in like, um, cause these weren't, these weren't consumer catalogs, right? These were catalogs for like a hardware store to order. So usually they'll give you in the oh. uh, half dozen, dozen, dozen and a half and two dozen yeah. prices. Yeah. Um, but this one does not. So I, that would be interesting to know what the new price was if you're going to go buy it, you know, down at like the Diamond Hardware store on the corner, you know? Yeah. But
1: I think it came on the Wells Fargo wagon.
2: Probably. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So got a question for you guys. As I'm moving All stuff right. around in my shop, I have I have a couple pieces of equipment that are big, but one is kind of a just kind of sitting there, and I just don't know if I'm going to use it that much. Do you guys feel like in your standard workflow, if one was set up in there and we have one in the shop, would you guys use a drum sander on a regular basis? Probably. John's saying yeah. yes. Like the spindle sander, you mean? No, draw, like uh, like a uh, like we have the paramatic oh, drum like sander. A panel a sander. Oh, the, sander. The, the yeah, the thickness sander. Yeah.
1: Any machine that will do sanding, I would take.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sign <laughs> me up. I can't argue yeah. with that. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. Because it's like I have this big Bailey, the twenty-five incher, right? Yeah. And I want to know from people listening, like, is that something you have? Is it something you've dreamed of? If you bought it, did you actually use it like you thought you would? Because more or less, I have nothing into this Bailey. Okay. I got a bunch of I bought a bunch of equipment, sold some of it off, and I paid for what I, you know, had into it. Um, so more or less, I have this Bailey that was unused f- at no cost to me. So I have this 25-inch sander. It's on a mobile base. I can roll it around. It's kind of awkward. It takes two 4-inch dust ports. It creates a boatload of dust. Right. Um, I have used it once, and it has dual drums. So technically, you could put, like, an 80-grit and a 120 in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess to preface my answer. I would say I don't know that I would invest my own money and my own space to go out and get one. But if I had one, I would probably use it. Like I use the 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 panel sander in the shop all the time, but it's not my money, not my shop. So and I'm not buying the the sandpaper. So but yes. Well and that's that's
2: another consideration. Those rolls of sandpaper are pretty expensive. Um now it's as I said, it's on a mobile base. I could roll it out into the storage area, but then it's one of those like out of sight, out of mind type things. Right. Yeah. Where if it's out there, you're not going to use it. Right. Cause it's going to turn into a hassle to bring it in. That's right. So I'm just trying to decide if it has a place in my shop or not. It's not currently set up in a permanent spot. Um, I did just order dust collection for my shop. So that will be a whole nother topic at some point doing hard piping dust collection. And in the layout, I did include having it in there. Okay. So I have the pipe for it. I have where I could potentially set it up. Um, the other consideration is it's basically a planer for the, the footprint, right? It's a, you need in infeed and outfeed on it. And right. you maybe not sending huge pieces through it, but you still need probably a good 40 to 50 inches of, in feed and out feed on it, even more if you're doing a tabletop. So, yeah. I need, I need input on whether or not it makes sense to have it in here or not. And I don't want to hear get rid of one of your lathes or get rid of, one of your bandsaws because I don't have, <laughs> I don't have time for that nonsense in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that,
0: but because I could see, Having used the one here, mm-hmm. I can see the practicality of it. Yeah. Because I've used yeah. it especially on... It's funny because, like, we'll use it on big panel glue-ups. Like, if we're doing something for the TV show, I know John will run it through there just to level out glue joints pretty quickly. And Yeah. Uh, but then I've also used it on really small things, too, where yeah. you're trying to get, like, little dividers that theoretically you can run through your planer, but theoretically also get chewed up into dog food when you run it through the planer too.
2: Well, and that's, and that's kind of the one consideration that I'm, I'm thinking about is that that Sanders 25 inches, my planer's 18. So technically I could use it as a 25 inch thickness sander, you know, to kind of level out wider panels um, yeah. I know, like, the big one that we had in the shop, we had a Supermax in there Um, at one Something point. like that, yeah. And Prefer Kurt Max. had bought it. And, it, yeah, and it was it was a big one. Like, I think that one was, like, a 30 or a 36. Like, it was a big one. Yeah. And he's like, I use this more than I use my planer because this is way faster. I'm like, boy, that's a lot of money <laughs> in sandpaper. Unless yeah. you're just picking up the sand that's left in the parking lot and making your own, you know. <laughs> but... You know, I just, it's one of those things. It's just right. Cause right now it's sitting in the middle of the shop. Cause I had, I was, I was doing some outlet work when Pat was here and I pushed it away from the wall and I'm like, ah, what do I do with this? What do I do with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All
0: right. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. We'll put, uh, we'll read comments from that on our next episode. So. That wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Questions, comments, smart remarks, we want to hear them all. You can put them on the comments section on our YouTube channel. Send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com, referencing the podcast number. This is episode 184. Coming up on 200 in a little bit. So special thanks to Grizzly Industrial for sponsoring today's episode and for sponsoring the upcoming season of the woodsmith shop tv show you can check out all of their selections from woodworking to metalworking to gunsmithing and more over at grizzly.com thanks for listening everybody bye